Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. If ever there is a time when steady leadership is required in real estate, this may be it. Fiscal challenges, social unrest, geopolitical conflict, climate change, disrupted, in some cases, broken supply chains, and, and of course, COVID. We need good leaders, but they are challenging to find when it's sometimes unclear what exactly good leadership is. Our guest today has examined, researched, and questioned qualities of leadership um, as he has piloted his uh, leadership consulting and staffing firm, Ferguson Partners, for over 30 years. And he also, at the same time, has written four books on the subject, including his latest, The the Test is Now Upon Us, now available on Amazon. So I am extremely excited to learn more about leadership, what it is, where it goes, and to welcome Bill Ferguson to the AFIRE podcast. Gunnar, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you. And to really talk about my last book, um, I view it as kind of the um, crowning uh, literary achievement, if I can use that terminology anyway. And many people have asked me why I wrote the book. And, you know, I, I would say a couple things. First of all, the other three books that I wrote uh, were pretty much focused geographically on leaders, whether it was the U.S., whether it was Canada, and whether it was Europe. Uh, in this case, I really tried to write uh, more of a global book. Uh, kind of a global perspective on leadership. And what I did was I tried to look at the great leaders in our industry and compare them against great leaders in all industries. So that could be other business leaders in other sectors, uh, could be uh, great leaders in the political realm, uh, could be great leaders in the military, uh, even in science. So what we tried to do was to identify those leadership attributes uh, that were common among all the great leaders uh, outside of the industry that we kind of have lived and loved for 40 years, which is really real estate, infrastructure, hospitality, and healthcare services, and, and really compare our world with the outside world, um, for sure. And what's interesting is, as you pointed out, that many people don't understand this, but when you include the single family real estate business, the mortgage business, the home building business, uh, our industry is the largest industry in the country and the largest industry in the world. And what's happened over my lifetime, over the last 40 years, is it's been a great incubator of leadership to study. I mean, the industry, after all, has gone from, in many cases, private to public. Uh, it's gone from regional to global. And it's, in, in essence, gone from entrepreneurial to institutional. And so it's fascinating to kind of study leaders in our business who typically start off as deal makers. And it's a very, very small number of people who rise to um, you know, the top spot, the CEO spot, and, and really what differentiates them 
you know, what allows them to do that. And that's really what the book is all about, is trying to find these common leadership attributes and compare and contrast people inside our industry versus outside our industry for sure. And the last point I would make, and it's important, is that my generation, the baby boomers, you know, we're going through transitional change. Uh, there's a lot of succession going on. Um, and a lot of our clients are trying to figure out how to assess that next generation. So we felt if we could come up with a common set of leadership attributes for succession committees of boards to evaluate, uh, that might well be helpful and interesting uh, as they embark upon their process. So it's an interesting time and it's an interesting uh, sector to study in particular. What I love about all your books is that you allow these leaders to speak. It's, it, it's really strong. As a reader, you're reading their thoughts and their words to you as you were interviewing them. Um, and there is this strong sense of what they believe um, helped them or, or didn't help them as they go forward. Um, I, I'm often confused when people talk about leadership because you know we, we talk about things that are important to being a good person. We talk about things that are important uh, in terms of getting groups of people to maybe trust you, to, to, to move with you, to be inspired by you. Um, but there is a lot of vagueness inherent in that, just as there is sometimes vagueness about what I think is going to happen to this uh, office building that I buy uh, and 10 years from now, what it's going to look like. There is a kind of, gee, we have to take some of this on faith, although we're learning. We're learning to apply more data. We're applying more rigor to these discussions around things like risk that are so difficult to uh, get our hands around. As you were exploring this in the midst of this crisis, were you seeing some kind of eye-openers in terms of how to assess some of these leadership qualities which we think are important, but are they can be really big, they can be nebulous, they can be difficult to get your fingers on? Yeah, what was most interesting to me, Gunnar, in studying leaders across all the sectors outside of the sector that um, we have been a part of for a long time, and then kind of studying the people in the sector, the most powerful message for these leaders is it's all about the people. Um, you know, you would think it's all about, you know, um, you know, whether it's being lucky or right place, right time, whatever it is. Uh, people ascribe success to a lot of different factors, you know, being a great strategic thinker, and that's important. But when you cut through it all, as we studied leaders both inside and outside the industry, it really was about the people. And I want to go into a couple of the, I think, the leadership attributes uh, that we found were particularly pervasive, um, you know, both across the people that in our industry as well as outside of our industry. And interestingly enough, uh, especially the post the post Trump era, um, what resonated loudly and again and again was the issue of integrity. You know, when you interview John Gray at Blackstone and really spend time with John, what he emphasizes and reemphasizes is treating everybody that he interfaces with as he wants to be treated himself. And so whether it's partners he's doing deals with, whether it's investors, uh, whether it's his people, um, this whole is issue of integrity and always doing the right thing, irrespective of the potential cost of it, 
um, is incredibly important to him. You know, another leadership attribute which we found consistent across the board was this whole issue of passion. I mean, when you think about some people outside of the real estate industry, you think about Steve Jobs or you think about uh, Warren Buffett, uh, people would say the reason they were successful is that they were passionate. Um, when you think about a guy like Bill Marriott, Bill Marriott was born with passion. I mean, when he was CEO of Marriott, he would travel unannounced, to be honest, to a couple hundred hotels. And he wouldn't go in there necessarily to critique the people and grade them, but he would go in to better understand what consumers wanted and whether Marriott's you know, kind of service was consistent, uh, whether the people were happy, and at the end of the day, whether they were really, you know, kind of living the Marriott dream. And that's extraordinary when you really think about a CEO going out to visit hundreds and hundreds of hotels at the time. You know, the other thing I would say, too, as far as maybe a third leadership attribute is this whole issue of innovation. Um, and most of these leaders, you know, said time and time again that they were always learning, that they were always trying to be, you know, um, as smart as they could be and, and really focused on, um, in essence, kind of what was, uh, what was different, what was special. And the other thing, too, is as part of that, they always kind of managed for the long term. Uh, they didn't manage quarter to quarter, so they invested in people, and they invested in, in the consumer, and you know they kind of looked at strategically where they're going. So this whole concept of of innovation and learning and doing the you know the right thing over the longer term was important. A um, couple of other things, you know, you think about um, independent thinkers. You know, you think about Sam Zell as an example. And Sam Zell borders on being controversial. But when you think about Sam, you know, when he's buying at the depth of, of where the industry might sit, and everybody else is very tentative, and he's stepping in and, and, and buying properties. And he's selling properties at the top of the cycle where everybody doesn't quite know if they can make another dollar. Um, and he was the one behind the securitization boom that led to the REIT industry. Um, whether it was equity office, equity residential, equity lifestyle, equity international, you know, you, you can argue that he was a very, or he still is, a very independent thinker and a guy who, as we know, you know, on occasion can be viewed as controversial. Well, that, that's important, uh, I think, as far as a leadership attribute. Uh, we talked a little bit about empowering people. You know, you think about Hamid Mogadam at Prologis and how he's built a great global organization. And he really views himself as a leader of logistics, not of industrial real estate, and how he tracks the product pretty much from the manufacturer to the consumer. And he's built an organization that's truly responsive uh, to what's going on around the world. And you take Arnie Sorensen, another great leader in the hospitality industry, who unfortunately we recently lost to pancreatic cancer. But Arnie was the only CEO in the Fortune 500 to have four female executives reporting to him. And it's a wonderful testimony to a man who believed that having 
diversity around the leadership table meant to a, a better business and and so forth. And you just, you know, it is at the end of the day, you know, kind of all about the people. And the last point I'll make, and I'll turn it back to you, is, you know, everybody I talked to just felt how critical it was to be aware of the details. You know, they weren't micromanagers, but they were clearly facile enough with what was going on in every part of the business where they had an instinct where if things were going sideways, they at least would acknowledge it and address it and look further at it. So it's a little bit of a, of a it's almost oxymoronic in the sense that on the one hand, you know, there's a big push on a strategic vision, uh, but there's also uh, an equally important mindset which says, you know what, you got to watch the details in the business because if you don't, it's going to get away from you. When you think about that succession issue and it happening a lot, to your point, uh, over the next year or two or five years, um, you talked a bit about examples where what a business needs now might be different from what a business needed before. So a brilliant leader of 10 years ago for a particular business may not be the brilliant leader of that business tomorrow. Um, how do you, what, what, what's your process or your discussion uh, with folks around how to think about, all right, we've done great with Bob. Bob's been great. He, he did wonderful. But we need someone who's different than Bob because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I, I think there are really two things, Gunnar, that you've got to look at there. Um, and this is where typically leaders fail in, I think, typically one of two categories. They either fall short relative to their strategic vision or they fall short relative to the leadership skills. And I think great companies are great because they have leaders who intersect those two lines. And, you know, strategy is all about, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, the world being different. I mean, who would have guessed we would be where we are today, you know, kind of following a pandemic. And amazingly enough, there are sectors that have done wonderfully as a result of the pandemic. You know, you look at the single family business today and the exodus out of the cities. Uh, you look at logistics, uh, you look at infrastructure, uh, whether it's Blackstone marching around the world to invest billions of dollars in infrastructure, or you look at the data center REITs, or you look at the cell tower REITs. And, and you know, you can go on and on, whether it's self-storage, whether it's manufactured housing. These are all sectors that have benefited, you know, from the, um, you know, from the crisis. Now, no leader is going to be able to predict the crisis, uh, but the good ones are going to be able to take advantage of it, and in a good way, uh, not in a bad way, for sure. And then you've got sectors on their back, you know. Uh, you look at retail, you look at hospitality, you look at seniors' housing, and their leaders are have another challenge, which is, in essence, kind of how to stabilize the business and, you know, uh, be as cost-efficient as they can and really try to understand what the future is going to mean because there will be opportunities. You just got to get through the, you know, the issues at hand for sure. So with all this research from these books, what what's the most surprising takeaway? What is it that you did not expect to hear? You know, probably more from our industry, Gunner, than others. It's all about the people. You know, you really, most of the people in our business think it's about buying something at the right price or financing it the right way, or hedging your bets or whatever. And that's about an asset, that's about a portfolio, 
but that's about a business. But when you really look at, you know, the Bill Marriott's or the John Gray's or the Hamid Mogadams or, you know, the Bruce Flats at Brookfield who we talk about or the Chris Massettas, each one of these people will say it's all about hiring correctly, developing, mentoring, and empowering. And I, I just never did expect that coming out of our business. I appreciate it better today, 40 years later, than I would have guessed it would have happened 40 years ago. Oh, it, it is one of those things that, that when talking to non-real estate people, quite often I find myself saying something along the lines of, it's not about buildings. Mm-hmm. It just looks that right. way. But it's not about that. It's about something else. And I think, I think the, 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 on the obverse side of the coin, I think the people who fail either you know, don't have that intersection of strategy and leadership or they think too short term. I mean, you, you, you watch these leaders in and outside our business, and it's all about a long-term view. And if you're unwilling to invest in your people, in your consumers, in your infrastructure, um, you know, you might do well quarter to quarter, but you're not going to do well over the longer term. Definitely. Well, speaking of longer term, um, there's there's that elephant in the room constantly over the last two years, um, and that is COVID. How um, how do you think great leaders, especially given the title of your book, is the test is now? Certainly, this is a test. Um, what? How have they responded to this? How have great leaders managed to get through this well? You know, I would say it really has tested leadership skills, Gunnar, more than ever before. Because what these leaders had to do for the first at least nine months of the pandemic, recognizing that, you know, it's got more of a finite term than we knew initially, um, they really had to take care of their people. They really had to think about their, their health, their safety. And I'm talking about both mental and physical health. And that was paramount, you know, and if you talk to all the great leaders um, about how they got through the pandemic, uh, that's what they prioritized. And as part of that, they focused hugely on the issue of communication. Um, So how do we communicate effectively uh, as an organization? Because we're working remotely, and so we can't be together. And I never thought I would say this, but... You know, we've got 120 people scattered across 12 offices around the world. And we are honestly closer as a group today than we were before the pandemic. And that's not attributable to me. That's attributable to a lot of people around me. Uh, You know, whether it's Gemma Burgess or whoever it might be, you know, Paul Carey, Jay Venzon, but Gemma in particular, um, you know, she recognized how important it was to get people together to talk seriously and to have fun. You know, I I really never knew what it was to have, you know, a cocktail party remotely or a Halloween party remotely. And, 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 and that, that's the beauty of it. You know, we really went out of our way to stay close and, and, and communicate. And so it was the softer things uh, I think that really separated the great leaders from those who weren't so great. And I think, you know, at, at, uh, at the end of the day, that really is the, I think, the differentiator relative to people coming out of the pandemic and being well positioned to move forward. 
Uh, that experience that you described, I've heard so many times from people, um, from AFIRE members that we would come together with many of them and ask them, well, how are you managing? How are you getting through this? And they would talk about things like that. They talk about sharing recipes with each other and, and things that sound like something you'd only see in like the newspaper talking about life, but instead it's it's actually real and, and, and uh, a really powerful tool, I think, for leaders. Well, given everything that we've learned dealing with it, and, and, and hopefully all of these leaders that have done such a good job are also taking good care of themselves, which is not an easy thing to do in this environment. Um, but how do you think, how do you think leadership may evolve? What what have people learned from this, and what is it going to look like when we are a little bit more open than we are now? Yeah, I think what people have learned, Gunnar, is to be flexible. And you know, I think what all of us have learned is that you can't have a sound culture with people working remotely. Um, so, you know, getting people back together, um, on some basis is important. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, on the other hand, you know, uh, people have proven that they can work effectively remotely and it's allowed them, um, in some cases to, um, you know, you can argue that people have had more stressful personal lives, especially if you get a dual career and kids at home and, you know, they're not going to school. Um, on the other hand, you can also argue that it's been a great time for, you know, uh, a couple to, to spend more quality time together, uh, for sure. And people all of a sudden, you know, uh, Kim, who is my right hand, you know, she commutes three hours a day, you know, and, you know, you've learned that she doesn't have to do that. You know, she's as effective, you know, kind of working from home as she isn't. Now, she wants to come in, and I want her to come in, but there's going to be a balance. You know, there's going to be, uh, you know, maybe she's going to come in three days a week. And so she could be more effective working at home. And then at 5 o'clock, when she wants to take her daughter to a horseback riding lesson, she can do that. And, 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 and that's the beauty of it. And I think what's also been interesting, too, uh, Gunnar, is in the middle of the pandemic, you had BLM. And you had the, the death of George Floyd. And uh, this whole issue now on ethnic diversity. And, and, and I think the pandemic, if it's done anything, it really has brought the humanness uh, into, the, into the word leadership. And, and people now are, are very respectful, um, I think, and more respectful of, of everything from, you know, kind of accepting and embracing other perspectives to just understanding that, you know, you can run a business and you can run it well, and you can also be respectful of, of, of what's important to them. And, um, you know, so, so I, think, I think the pandemic has done a lot as far as reinforcing strong cultures, and uh, it's clearly tested technology, and I think technology has been a wonderful enabler uh, throughout all this for sure. But it's, I, think, I think we all come out of this as, as stronger and, and really, uh, you know, understanding that there are a lot of th ways to get things done and that people can be happier while they're doing it. To, to illustrate what you just said is this notion that, you know, two years ago, seeing someone's kid, you know, running around in the middle of someone's office or 
seeing a pet suddenly jumping up in the middle of a conference call or something like that was something that that people were embarrassed about or that they you know felt like it was not office appropriate. Now it's normal, and this whole idea that everyone has their own lives, everyone has other things that they're dealing with um, as they're dealing with you, and 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 I think there's a quality of the interaction between people that is more human, not just the fun times when we're sharing recipes or whatever, but but how we work on business issues as person to person, which is something we haven't seen that much since the 19th century in terms of life and work being positively integrated so that we're seeing each other the same way. Yeah, no, I, I think it just makes for just a very human experience. And it's, it's real, it's life. Um, everybody's got to get through it in their own way, but it, but it brings a humanness to the interaction, which I think is genuine. And we, we never, you know, as you said, we were either scared of it or we never had it. And now, you know, it's it's just kind of part of who we are. And I think it's wonderful. I really do. And and, and I suspect our, our fashions will change, too, once we get out of COVID as well. They've already changed, I guess, the way, at least from the waist down. Everyone's wearing <laughs> different clothes. Um, so, you know, the... Um, one of the things that comes up all the time uh, with institutional investors, in, even in normal times, but over the last, I'd say, three, four months, there's been much more discussion around ESG and the direction things are going there. Were you picking up anything around that amongst your leadership discussions? Yeah, I, I would say increasingly. I mean, when we, when we did the interviews, it was fairly early on, and I actually took some of the excerpts out of um, earlier books. But there's no question that especially the S and the, and the ESG uh, came out, as I said, whether it's Black Lives Matter and really embracing this diversity of perspectives um, to, in essence, this whole issue of culture. Uh, I think if there's one word uh, that our leadership consulting people would espouse as kind of one of the key things relative to business success, it's culture. And, and once again, it gets back to this whole issue of, of people and empowering people, um, for sure. So I do think that um, the S in particular in ESG and DEI um, ha has benefited from an environment where we really do care for one another and we're trying to do the best we can uh, to make this a better place to live. All these things we've talked about, we talked about the challenges, we've talked about the, the, you know, the problems facing leaders, and certainly you have examples in your book, which I encourage everyone to read, uh, get, pick up a copy and read it, uh, is this, this kind of more prescriptive, what, what's wrong, what can we do better at, all those sorts of things. What are you most excited about happening uh, in the next couple of years? What do you think real estate can do? Uh, what can real estate do? Um... I think a couple things. One is I think we're going to continue to see uh, more globality, and which obviously plays right into AFIRE's sweet spot, so to speak. But I, but I, yep. But but I but I do think um, you know, irrespective of you know what we've seen over the prior four years relative to focusing just on America's interests, I think we've all realized that. Uh, post the last president, that that's just not the way for us to behave, uh, either as citizens uh, of the world, of, you know, kind of caretakers of the world from an environmental perspective, and clearly from a business perspective. If anything, 
you know, the, the internet is going to drive uh, logistics to be one of the great global businesses for sure. So I definitely think that uh, the world will continue to be global. I think people will get back on airplanes, and I think they will embrace uh, this whole concept of, of travel and learning different cultures and uh, different ways that we might be able to uh, market products and services and whatever. And I don't think any of us know the impact of technology, but we do know one thing. It will impact us, for sure. And if, if anything else, um, you know, we've seen it over the last 14 months, and we've seen what kind of effect it can have. I mean, you know, I'm, albeit a Neanderthal, but I, before the pandemic, Gunnar, I never had an Amazon account. You know, and, and once again, I can't tell you I'm quite as efficient as Penny is by any stretch with it, but I do now. And, and you know, and it, it is, it's remarkable uh, for sure. Now, I do think the retailers and the retail investors and the retail owners are going to find ways to take advantage of it too. So it's not the demise of an industry by any means. But, you know, I just think technology's wonderful. And, and once again, that's why as a leader, you've got to do all you can to stay up with, you know, strategically, how's it going to impact your business? Because if you don't, uh, chances are you're going to have a hard time in the future. I, you know, the, the biggest advice I heard right there, and I'm going to take, I'm going to have to write this down on my office wall, stay flexible. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we are running out of time. So I wanted to make sure that before we close out that I encourage everyone who is listening to this uh, to subscribe. You could subscribe on so many different services, including Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. I think that's it. Uh, those are all the groups that you could uh, subscribe to. So please do, and you can hear every word. Uh, and you know, I'll get Bill on the line again, and then you'll you'll be able to enjoy that, and it'll be great from that. So anyway, so I've, I've done my ad for the day. Uh, so Bill, I, I want to thank you. You are, and there's no question, uh, a thought leader as well as an actual leader. Uh, of, of, of consequence in this industry. And I think uh, you writing yet another book on this is, is a gift to all of us so that we can think, reflect, um, and, and pull from the wisdom of all the people that you're talking to and, and all of the insights that you've drawn. Um, so I encourage you to do so. And, and I want to thank you for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Happy to do that, Gunnar. Thank you for having me. And the only thing I will say is that all the proceeds of the book are going to an organization by the name of LEAD, uh, which is an organization based in Atlanta. And LEAD's purpose for being is to not only support uh, younger underprivileged children, both in their pursuit of a college education and also in pursuit of their career. So every dime that uh, uh, basically is generated by the sale of the book uh, goes to LEAD. And uh, we're most excited about that, for sure. So. Thank you. Not that anyone needs an additional reason to buy the book. So buy the book, but as a bonus, you get to help someone else out as well. Right. So thank you. 
You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.